0: Welcome to the Tea Grannies. I'm Elise. And I'm Maria. Today we're here to chat about finding the agent. So pour yourself a cup of tea and let's get started.
1: Chapter 1. Falling. The voice echoed across the glacier as Alex threw himself down onto the icy surface, burying the pick of his mountaineering axe deep into the ice. Several moments passed, with nothing but the hissing of wind in his ears. The rope tied into his harness remained slack. Is everyone okay? He called back over his shoulder. Okay, came Wodeau's voice from behind him. I'm okay, Jenny called from further away. Yeah, Tyler called. There was a short silence. Mostly Okay. Jay called from furthest away. Relaxing his grip on the axe, Alex lifted his head and looked back down the steep glacier at the rest of his rope team. Zoe lay prone on the ice behind him, her axe embedded in the glacier in the same self-arrest position that he had taken. Behind her, Janny and Tyler were the same. Jay, the last on the rope team, was still upright, but only half of him was visible above the ice. A snow bridge must have collapsed under him, dropping him into the crevasse below. Thankfully, it was a narrow crevasse. He had fallen up to his thighs, but the fissure was not wide enough for him to fall any further. His face showed surprise, not pain. Alex smiled with relief and stood up carefully. His dark brown skin tingled as melting snow trickled down his neck. "'Damn it, Jay,' he called over the heads of the rest of the rope team. "'I told you not to fall into any crevasses.' "'Well, excuse me,' Jay called back. "'I'll be sure to remember that next time.' Next to Alex on the rope team, Zoe got back to her feet cautiously. You would think it would be an easy thing to remember, she muttered.
0: Overall, I thought this was a super fun beginning to a story. Uh, Climbing up a snowy mountain with your friends sounds fun and super dangerous. I also felt like we got a good amount of setting in the first few sentences, Uh, but I think another descriptive sentence somewhere else on the first page would really help me feel a bit more anchored in the setting and make it feel a little more unique. Um, yeah. And I wasn't so sure about all the dialogue on the first page. It takes up about five lines for those who are obviously listening and can't see what we can see. Um, and, and there, it's kind of not necessary dialogue, um, it could be condensed and then we could have something else there that pushes the story forward instead. It just kind of pulled me out of the scene. It's a bit of a high stakes intro and then the dialogue just really bogged it down. Um, and I did have a few word choice suggestions uh, such as, you know, there's the spot where Zoe lay prone, but she just said she was fine. So I think that could be changed or fixed and then eliminating words like thankfully and carefully. Um, and I noticed that big time because that was the major thing in my writing. It's <laughs> really bad for it. And then Elise would go through and be like, delete, delete, delete. I was like, oh man. So watch for those in your writing. There's things like Kind of like a crutch word where like you don't really need it like it's something that maybe you would say if you were speaking to someone talking about something like I was really careful or I carefully went or you know thankfully they called me back uh but you don't need them in your story otherwise
1: yeah so as a rock climber I also found the premise uh quite interesting as an opener and um also very anxiety inducing because if <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you know anything about rock climbing, then you probably know that ice climbing is um, one of the two most dangerous forms of climbing. So the first, the first, actually it might be the most dangerous. There's two that I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of and I don't know either of them very well because obviously I'm never going to go do them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, the first it's one self preservation. Yeah, I have a rather strong instinct of those so I just don't do things. But the first one is pre solo, which is where you're you're not roped in, you're not tied in at all and you're climbing these massive cliffs and you just if you fall you die. That's that's how it works. And some people are just yeah, there's people that are known for this. Um and why? The, yeah, that's <laughs> my
0: question. I
1: don't know. Um <laughs> <laughs> my yeah my husband and I both said like we love rock climbing we will never do that like that's I don't understand I don't know but some people are no. really into it um and they get so good that like you don't make mistakes because if you make a mistake you die um <laughs> ice climbing is dangerous for different reasons like you can still have all the harnesses and the ropes and be doing everything within your power to be safe but because of the nature of glaciers and ice and if something like the crevice that the, the Kid falls into in this piece. Like, when that happens, Mm -hmm. it could have been so much worse. Like, it just, you don't know what's gonna happen, and it can be deadly whether you know what you're doing or not. So, that's what I've heard of ice climbing. So immediately I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, okay, they're doing ice climbing, not just climbing." They're
0: they're doing the dangerous. They're shit. doing the
1: scary stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so even I, apparently, even if you don't know that about climbing, it's still like this looks scary and dangerous. So I think that that's mm-hmm. really good for establishing tension and suspense, like right off the bat. And then um, similar reaction to you with the dialogue. Like I wasn't sure if it was necessary there right at the beginning. Maybe we could have other things first and have that later. But I understood why it was Mm -hmm. there because that is, um, proper etiquette and safety for that kind of an environment. You need to check on your people and make sure that no one's died. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Essentially. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's just a little, uh, climbing lesson for everyone who never cared. Uh, but there it is. (laughs) I do it in my free time. can't believe it hasn't come up before. Um, but yeah, as soon as Alex in this chapter asked if everyone was okay, I got pretty nervous because I was like, this could be really bad, like right off the bat. And I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, so I, I liked that that was established right away. The the things that I could use more of with this first page, um, there's three main ones. There's more sensory descriptors, like how how close or how distant mm-hmm. are his voices from his friends when they re- reply? Um, and then how is he feeling? How is he... Um, interacting with the environment in the moment like is his heart pounding or his hands sweating um it's icy so is he cold or because he's moving is he actually keeping pretty warm and sweating or whatever um and just some descriptors to help us understand that because most people probably haven't been ice climbing and they won't know what and that's don't like.
0: plan to and don't um, ever plan mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. <laughs> power to you but
1: no thank you uh second thing for me that i wanted a bit more of was more setting descriptions and i think maria mentioned this a little bit um so we know that they're climbing a steep glacier but are they climbing with rope and harnesses because it's like this just sheer cliff face and they literally can't stand on it or are they kind of like walking up this really steep incline that's hard to stand on because it's ice and I wasn't mm-hmm. clear on that um so a little bit more descriptions could help clarify that and then more from Alex directly I wanted more of his internal thoughts more of his emotional beats more of how he was. Um, feeling, thinking, doing in that moment because I I believe he's our main protagonist and um, or at least for this chapter he is but I don't have much of an idea for where for what's going on in his head during this you know stressful uh dangerous scene um so I, I didn't have much of a connection with him and then I didn't know who are these people to him are they friends family or like is he a tour guide for complete strangers because there's like climbing guides that go out and take groups out to like because they have the safety knowledge so they take people out to do these crazy things because they may not have all the knowledge that they need right um,
0: I just I t- realized that I am extremely boring <laughs> while you're talking about this I'm like, wow people do this for fun And they do it for work. And I'm sitting here like, "Mm, I better go up and down the stairs carefully. But you know what? You know
1: what? People would probably say that about you and horse riding. That's true. People would probably say like,
0: you ride, like, are you crazy? Do you want to (laughs) die? Yeah, that's fair. I did get a safety vest for a reason. But it's, I feel like it's different. Maybe there's not the same type of heights involved.
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit different. (laughs) I know uh, people generally say that I'm very brave for, like, in climbing, because it involves mm -hmm. heights, and you're dangling by a rope. And if the rope has a problem, you have the problem of death. So, you know,
0: (laughs) eh, whatever. (laughs) You have the problem of death.
1: (laughs) There are security things involved, and, like, you always make sure you have two points of connection to something. You're never just being held Mm. by one thing, so... Okay, there, there's always two good. things that have to go before you die. Um, <laughs> but, you know, people get unlucky or they forget and then they die.
0: So, oh yeah, my gosh, That's terrifying. Sorry, we got very off topic. But there's, yeah, a
1: bit of a tangent well, sort there. sort of. I, it's still of on topic,
0: actually. It's yeah. still on topic. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel justified. We're in not being it. very concise today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's
1: going to be a problem. But oh well. Um... Yeah, so establish that I want more setting, more descriptions, um, more sensory descriptions, and more Mm. emotional investment in the character. Um, But overall, again, I love the setting and the premise and the immediate kind of sense of danger impending because of the activity that they're doing. Um, And then I really like the opening use of the word falling because that's a signal word Mm -hmm. in climbing that... I know I'm about to fall because I'm losing my grip and I'm signaling the person who's holding me that, hey, I'm falling. You need to like take in the slack and make sure you catch me. Um, So Mm -hmm. as a climber, I picked up on that right away because it's like climbing, falling. Oh, yeah, I know. I know that word. (laughs) Um, So I really like the use of that for me personally. It just immediately Mm -hmm. got me in the moment and um, added that tension. So I like that. Um, And then, yeah, the... The other piece that I was curious about was the the dialogue between the characters at the end of the page. It seems to hint towards some kind of fun, friendly banter, but that's why I was saying I don't know enough about these relationships to know what it is, but I feel like that could be something that comes in later in the book, and I would be um, excited to see more of that throughout the story, so good work on that. Mm -hmm. Connor's arms quivered as he lowered his hollow belly onto the grave. He ignored the familiar crunch of bones, used to the way they crumbled to a powder beneath his palms, and pressed the binoculars to his face. The wind-worn building before him stood three stories tall, with strong bricks and unshattered windows. It shouldn't have survived the bombings. But, impossibly, it did. And now the four raiders Connor had been stalking for the past three days were inside. They should have been back by now, his Tanya. Where the hell are they? She was pissed. Connor didn't blame her. They'd been waiting for over an hour, judging by the shift at the jaundiced sun, but still the raiders hadn't returned. Give them time, Connor whispered. He adjusted the lenses and grimaced as a small rock tore through his skin, dribbling blood as red as the sky into the sand. These desert grounds weren't made just of dirt and ash, after all. There were shards of metal and glass, broken tech, children's toys blown to bits, bone. Why would it take four raiders this long to collect a single piece of tech? His hunting partner was growing impatient. Connor didn't reply. Her guess was as good as his, but it would be worth the wait. He didn't want to think about what he might lose if he was wrong. He pried his eyes away from the binoculars and looked at his best friend, one of the two members in his traveling tribe he truly cared for. Her tan skin was pink with sunburn, and her winding tattoos glowed like oil in her sweat. She glowered at him. I'm going to be pissed if these raiders don't show their faces soon. We wasted an hour doing nothing when we could have been foraging in the forest. Haven't you noticed Danny's ribs poking through her shirt?
0: My favorite thing about this submission was it hit all the major beats for me in the first page. We got the hook in the first paragraph. We got setting with some information about the world. We got the introduction of our two main characters and their ready to act and so if I pick this up in the bookstore it's one of those things where I go "Ooh, like I like that I like that I like that I like that what are they gonna do now and I would turn the page and then you know walk to the checkout with it or realistically add it to the pile of 10 books in my arms and <laughs> then go to the checkout uh so yeah my only suggestions were a few word choice things and I probably picked up on this because I've been noticing a lot in I've been reading like both traditionally and indie published books where people use after all at the end of a sentence or beginning mm. of a sentence. And I used to do this too, so I'm um, yeah, also notice it because of that. but it's it takes away from the strength of a sentence for me. It's sort of just like a kind of up my word count type of phrase. It, it very rarely seems to fit and is, it's very rarely needed. So I think you can cut that and it will be all the stronger for mm. it.
1: I haven't. I, I don't think I've ever noticed that. But you have probably like pointed it out in my work and be
0: like, "Hey, <laughs> get rid you of don't, that." You don't do it that much. Okay. Uh, and when you do do it, I delete it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. No, <laughs> this is why we're the dream team.
1: Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but in terms of the piece, which is what we're actually talking about here, I am <laughs> all in agreement. Um, I remember this story from our episode about queries. And as soon as I noticed that connection, I was like, oh, it's this one. Oh, I'm so excited. So, like, the query obviously worked for me because I was really Mm -hmm. looking forward to reading this one. And I absolutely adore the first paragraph. Like, I can't get over how much I enjoyed reading that. I was I was eating I just like brought my lunch to my desk and I opened up this document to start critiquing it and I read the first line and I stopped like I had food halfway to my mouth and I was mid-chew and I like stopped and put it down and my eyes got big and I was like what so that's
0: a perfect reaction yeah
1: yeah, it was beautiful (laughs) I would change nothing about the opening paragraph like Oh my goodness! I wasn't sure if we were getting into like a grave robber situation, and then yeah. and then he pulls out the binoculars. I'm like, what is going on? And it was yeah, brilliant and perfect and everything I wanted. Um, the characters sound already sound really interesting, and I'm really intrigued by the relationship dynamics and stuff. And um, yeah, overall, the descriptions are what really did it for me in the submission. Like you were saying, there's some mm-hmm. like gorgeous one-liners in there, and just really nice comparisons that bring the world to life. Um, And that opening paragraph is like the the crowning jewel. So uh, yeah, loving it. Love it so much, and uh, two main bumps were actually pretty small. I had one was the use of the word tech, and I noticed this in the query as well. It felt too vague there, and it feels Mm. too vague here, because we don't know anything about the world. So that word could literally mean anything. It could be a thumb drive, or it could be a handheld nuclear reactor. I don't know if that's possible. (laughs) Probably not. But in this world, maybe it is, and we just started, so we don't know. So I think that's why it feels too vague. And it almost feels like mm-hmm. this word means nothing to me. Like, I I don't know how to think about it. Do I care about it? Do I not care about yeah. it? Um, does it add intrigue? It doesn't because I don't know enough. And I think there's a few different ways that we could add more with a different term even if it's just like what the characters assume that this piece of technology does even if they don't know they probably have some idea of what they think it does so they could use mm-hmm. a term that more accurately describes their assumptions and then we find out that that's wrong later or whatever um but that way we would be able to contextualize it better because at this point it just it doesn't do anything for the reader and it feels maybe a bit throw away or it, it feels like wasted space to me um, and then second one, even more minor, is just Tanya's dialogue at the very end, where she says, "I'm I'm gonna be pissed if these raiders don't show their faces soon. We've wasted an hour doing nothing." Um, just that segment felt like exposition to me. Like it wasn't something you'd actually say out loud to a person who's been there along with you the whole time. Um, they know that you're pissed already, and that if these Raiders don't do what you want them to do. It's going to be a problem. So we typically we wouldn't say that out loud to the person who's been along with us for the ride. So I had some things that I would just cut out of there to make it feel more natural. Um, and I think that'll just tighten things up and make it make it really sing there for their conversation. But yeah, other than that, um, those are two really tiny things in a piece that I honestly just want to read more. Like I don't, I don't really even care about those things as a reader. I just want to know everything about this world and i would i would read the next page in a heartbeat so
0: me too and what's funny is like i kind of skimmed over the tech thing because i'm like i'll find out later and then i got to the oh. end of the first page and i was like i didn't find out later Interesting. <laughs> up one page. but uh that is the kind of reader i am though and i've noticed this when i read reviews and stuff some people get really um they get stuck on something and I'm like, Oh, like, yeah, I just figured I would keep going and just figured it would resolve itself at some point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't know if I'm just like, uh, yeah, it's depends if you get me and I'm enjoying the piece and I'm reading it and I'm just reading it because I'm enjoying it. Mm -hmm. I will skip over stuff like that. But if there's something that's not quite like, if, if it's making me put my editing brain on, I'll be like, Oh yeah, that doesn't quite fit, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. So I think it (laughs) could, kind of depends, uh, depends on how I what feel about of, the story, I guess. Yeah,
1: what, how you feel about the story and what kind of an issue it is. Like some things yeah, you totally. don't care about, but I do. Um, exactly. There's a point to be made here that within the very first page, no, I don't need to know what tech is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that's fair. Take my critique with a grain of salt. It's just, I think based on the query, it sounded like mm-hmm. that was going to be the word for this, oh yeah, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. for a long time. And I think that that would be problematic. If that's not the case and I misread that, that's totally my fault. And I apologize. (laughs) But (laughs) yes, um, when we're only getting this much context. I was just going to
0: say, we're only getting the first page. Although this one we're lucky enough to also get a query. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. yeah, when you're only getting one page, it can be tough. Like at least when you're in a bookstore and you're picking up a book, you usually, I mean, most people read the back cover first and then kind of yeah. What I do, I read the back cover and then I read the first page and then I'm like, okay, this is going to be a fit Mm -hmm. for me or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So you kind of have an idea of what's going on. So yeah, when we go in blind, it's a bit different. Yep. (laughs) Still, we loved it and we want to read more.
1: Finding an agent and why the right one is important, dare I say, crucial, actually, I Can't say that. That sounds a little too intense. Let's not be too intense about this. This is not supposed to be emotionally traumatic. So, agents.
0: Not supposed um, to be, (laughs) but it might be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We make no promises and no guarantees. Um, Okay, but anyways... Literary agents, specifically, is what we're talking about today. And uh, while they're not the super, super secret agents like from Men in Black or whatever, they're, uh, they're basically the same thing. They're just as cool. So um, you owe them their allegiance, and uh, that's all you need to know. There. Episode's over. We're done. Um, <laughs> but what they actually are is uh, representatives to publishers who do not accept unsolicited queries. Um, so basically, if you want to pitch your book to one of the big five publishers... Um, you're going to need an agent to get get past their spam folder because um, they got to the point at some point where they couldn't feasibly field all the submissions that they got. Um, so now they only take submissions from voices that they know and trust. Mm-hmm. Those people are literary agents. Those people are... Some people call them gatekeepers, but I think that's a misnomer um, because they're not... And a lot of agents will take this posture. They're not there to prevent you from getting somewhere. They want to represent you. They want to champion their work. This is why they're such beautiful people. They get so excited about the stories that we send them. And then they're the ones that like sell our work to the publishers. That's their role. That's what they, they sit in and do. So they're, they're the networking gurus of the publishing industry. They are the knowledge silos of what sells, what's hot, what's not. And what publishers may or may not be looking for obviously there's no guarantees within this because it can be very fluid and very dynamic but mm-hmm. they are the people that know so much more about it than we do because they're in it all the time um, and they can tell you maybe what revisions might make your story more marketable and more appealing um, and they can get your story in front of the people that matter so not only do they have connections with other agents and publishing houses but they um, are often in and out of the inboxes of editors and designers and other people within the industry. Um, so they can be the champion of champions. They can um they are the silver tongued gods and goddesses of this mortal realm. <laughs> um, they they talk their way in and out of things. And they can talk their way into an editor's inbox and get kind of a shoe in the door of that publishing house through that connection because they have that network established. I believe that's how it works. Um, in some cases, other times they're just like, they're, they're pitching to publishers. Hey, I've met with this author. I'm their representative. They have this story and I think it'll fit with this list. And that's, um, that's basically what they do. And then they hopefully get you a book deal. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think I probably put them on a pedestal and worship them a bit because they <laughs> do literally everything that I feel like I cannot. um, all of that, you know, talking to other people nonsense. So.
0: the the extrovert to the writer's introvert Mm -hmm.
1: that's what it seems like although i wonder if like more of them are introverted than we actually think because Mm -hmm. they like books and that tends to be less of an extroverted uh activity
0: this is true (laughs) i don't have too much to add to that Mm -hmm. um but the thing you do have to remember when it comes to agents is they are going to be your future business partner and your representative so You, you also want, you'll also need their expertise because most of us, when you get an agent, we don't know shit about publishing. We don't know <laughs> anything. <laughs> so you want someone who's going to guide you. Um, maybe gently, you know? Yeah, gently it's going to be a little you. scary. So they're, they're also there to protect you from sketchy situations, or at least they should. Heard some horror stories, but we're not going to go there right now. Uh, and there's someone who you're going to work with like pretty in depth on your story. Like before mm-hmm. they they take it out there to try and sell it. Like they're gonna help you workshop it. And they're basically a critique partner, um, you know, a business partner. There are a few things all rolled up into one. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to get the right agent for you, not just an agent in general. Yeah.
1: Yep. There's so many things that they do that we probably don't even know yeah. about either, right?
0: <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there's probably so much that maybe one day down the road we'll be able to do a real real in-depth episode. (laughs) From the inside. Wow. Mm -hmm. And there's
1: probably, I mean, it probably depends on the writer, too. Like, you might not need as much assistance. They may be able to do all these things for you, but they only have to do this for this person because they have different connections or whatever. But... Mm -hmm. Moving on from who they are and what they do, how do you find one? Um, wish that we could tell you exactly which agents. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't stop the sentence there. Wish that we could tell you. That's it. Episode's over. We're going to have a few of those
0: moments today. That's just where I'm at. we uh, <laughs> I mean, need like a search engine that's like super, super specific for agents? <laughs> the agent's search engine. Yes. Or they could search for us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that <would> be better. <laughs> <laughs> oh man.
0: Sorry. I guess go that's on. maybe kind of
1: like what Wattpad is. Like they can go on there and be yeah. like, ah, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. But I don't think that's how it works. So you know, don't bank no. on it if you're Either. listening to me say this. Anyways, <laughs> agents to submit to. We can't tell you which ones because it's so hyper specific to the writer and their mm-hmm. work and what the agent wants. And there's so many different agents. Um, But we can tell you where to look for your dream agent or some of the places that we like to frequent. Um, So a few of the places that I check again and again when I'm preparing for or deep in the query trenches. The First one is Manuscript Wishlist. This is a website. It's where agents and editors as well. So it's not just agents. you got to be kind of careful about that because you might find someone that like, oh, they love this thing. And I'm writing that exact story. It's going to be perfect. And they're an editor. They don't accept. Happened to me.
0: Yep. Happened to me. Yeah. Very disappointing. That's
1: always, you know, devastating. So just, you know, <laughs> read carefully. Do your due mm-hmm. diligence. Um, don't let the excitement overwhelm you so that you miss the details. Uh, aside from that, <laughs> Manuscript Wishlist is a really <laughs> great place to go because this is where, indus- like, publishing industry professionals can go to post about what they're looking for, what they're into, the tropes, the genres, the things that they like, what they don't like. Um, It's a really great place to go to find resources and information to be able to personalize your query letters to the agents that you're submitting to. Um, And it's also just a great place to go to browse through agents and find new ones that you could submit to because, hey, it looks like they'd be a good match. So um, Mm -hmm. that's a big one. And kind of sub note to that is on Twitter. If you're searching the hashtag MSWL, that is the manuscript wish list hashtag. Um, And it's often if not always connected to the manuscript wishlist website so if twitter's your thing that's another great place to try looking for um agents who might rep your stuff um there's lots of agents on twitter it's yeah i feel like it's probably a better place to go looking for that than any of the other social platforms except maybe reddit but i haven't done that research yet
0: i don't think reddit not a big is, place. No, I think Twitter. That. Twitter's the thing. Twitter's the thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's unfortunate yeah. for me. I don't like Twitter. <laughs>
0: <Me> <laughs> too. I'm like so overwhelmed. <laughs> like so many tweets yeah. and bios. Nah.
1: Uh, yeah. So that's another place. If you like Twitter, that's your spot. Mm-hmm. Um, Writers Digest is a you know little known mm-hmm. magazine uh, website. Uh, they do a lot of stuff, but one of the things that I found out a while back is that they'll publish kind of lists of bunch of different agents and say so-and-so's open for queries they're looking for this and that um but you just need to be careful when you're searching up writer's digest lists that you find recent ones because you can find some from like way back when and those aren't going to be true anymore um so just make sure that they're like within the last year or at least the last couple of months otherwise it's going to be way out of date and you're going to be disappointed pretty quickly and the last one that i have to mention oh maybe last couple um one of them is Publishers Marketplace. This is another website. Um, if you're willing to pay for it, you can get more out of it. You can get some out of the free stuff, but not nearly as much as you could with a subscription. Um, it's supposed to be a bit of a one-stop shop. That's my understanding of it for like all your querying needs because um, it'll show you exactly what books an agent has worked on or sold, as well as information about what they what they are currently looking to acquire. So it can be a really good, good place to find personalization pieces of comp titles Mm -hmm. or just other books, right?
0: Yeah. And it's, it's like $25 a month and I'm pretty sure it's in US dollars. It Mm -hmm. didn't actually say Mm -hmm. most websites don't. And then you see it on your visa and you're like, damn it. More expensive (laughs) than I bought. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, or you can sign up for six months or a year and then they give you like the slightly discounted rate. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also view like the top 100 agent sales and sort them by genre and age group. Uh, it also shows if the agent has sold to any of the big five publishers. Now, okay. I haven't actually looked myself. This is just what I have been told by lots of other writers because mm-hmm. I haven't paid for a subscription yet because I'm okay. being kind of cheap. And I'm not actively querying at the moment. So <laughs> well, I'm there like, is ah. that.
1: Not exactly <laughs> yeah, worth that. it. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. That, that's excellent because I did not have all that information, but <laughs> now I'm glad that I do. Um, but my last one, certainly not the least of these, is to just crack open your favorite books, crack open those comp titles that you have read and know are good for your story, um, and mm-hmm. read your way through the acknowledgments page. The agent will almost always, always be listed there. I, I think they'll always. always be in there because they do so much for, for writers. So this is just a really fabulous way to find agents because you're immediately ready to personalize. Like you've read this book or you have it on your shelf and you're going to read it before you make any mention mm-hmm. of it in your query. Hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: reading this research.
1: Yeah, but it, it's, it's your built-in way. You can say, I loved your work in such and such a title and I think my work would be a good fit for your list because... And you know you're you're golden. You've got it down. So that's yeah. that's and probably my favorite go. way. And unfortunately, it doesn't mm-hmm. happen as often because you can't just like look through a list of here's all of my favorite books that relate to my current project, and I can just you know pick out the agents from this list. Doesn't quite work that way, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, especially when one of my comp titles on my other projects is uh, Pride and Prejudice. So <laughs>
1: can't exactly that's not you know, be
0: working for me. hit up Jane
1: Austen. <laughs> hey, Grandma. <laughs>
0: great great great
1: great grandma I don't know how many greats there would be in front of that
0: (laughs) uh yeah so agent hunting is like probably my least favorite step in the querying process which is very weird because you think it would appeal to my weird obsessive organized side but I actually Mm. find it really overwhelming Mm. um it's more it's more networking than yeah that's totally it It's a lot of information. And I usually get through like a few and I'm like, I give up. (laughs) So probably it takes me longer to build a list of agents to query than it does for me to like write my query and synopsis and stuff, which is kind of embarrassing. But anyways, so um, I have mostly used query tracker. So this is a really good way to find agents and it's an even better way to track your queries. That is the best part about it. Um, there's a free version which had for a while, or you can do a yearly subscription for $25 and that one, I can't remember all the exact things that you get with it, but I think you can do like multiple projects and stuff like that. You just get a little bit more out of it and $25 a year is not too bad, especially if you're going to be actively querying for, know a good amount of that time um you can search for agents by like country of residence like the genres they represent stuff like that shows if they're open to queries or closed to queries it also has like their website and how they accept queries so like email or like online form and then they have the link to the form there and a lot of agents use query manager i suppose is their side of it to track their own queries so it's pretty handy and you just have to do like a bit of copying and pasting when you use the form. Um, I do like query tracker though. It's good. And then you can also go in there. So like, you can say, you set your query on April 1st and then you can go in there and do, um, you know, request received for, you know, a partial, and then you date it there. So it's, it's easier to track it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people just have like their own spreadsheet, but like I do enough spreadsheets at work. Like I don't want to <laughs> see another one. i <laughs> My fair. brother whether or not um and yeah like we already said about about twitter so yeah you can find agents on social media i would say mostly on twitter because their writing community on twitter is pretty big uh and it's a good place to to look and a lot of places like even our podcast um twitter page we have a list of agents uh, on there too so you can you can do a little creeping there you can you know. Find your favorite authors again who they're rep by. This might be the lazy way of Elise's version where you go to someone who wrote the book that you are using as a comp title and it'll say rep by in their Twitter bio and you can be like, Okay, Oh, perfect. I didn't even think of that.
1: If you take the book out from the library, maybe you don't have it. So it's not just lazy, it's you know, resourceful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's call resourceful. I'm going to start saying that instead of lazy when I do stuff like that. Works <laughs> smarter, so not better.
1: <laughs> so you've got a list of agents. Now what? What the heck do you do with that? Now you get to be the super special secret agent. Your lucky day. Um, because you get to look into all of them. You don't get to just, you know, write a list of names, write a list of emails that matches a list of names and send queries that, um, and I say you don't get to, I mean, you could if you really wanted, no one's going to stop you. You're an adult. You have access to an email account, but yeah, no, absolutely do not. Like I shouldn't even tell you it's an option because I don't want you to think that it's an option. Um, (laughs) You have to research the heck out of these people, and I think we've talked about this, you know, kind of ad <laughs> nauseum in the in the query episode a little bit. Um, but it's it's all about the research and the personalization and and making sure you do your due diligence on this without being creepy. And I harped on that last time, so I'm not going to go overboard on it this time. But let's be clear: <laughs> don't be creepy. You can lurk on their social pages to get to know them a bit better, um, but mostly you want to check out. The things like their website their agency's website or mm-hmm. if they have both check out both don't look at just one um because there might be extra information on one or the other that you didn't have before it's just mm-hmm. it's just a good practice um more information is better than not enough um also look at their manuscript wish list if they have one not all of them will but if they do it's mm-hmm. like it's pure gold it's a brilliant resource um and especially look at however you can figure it out look at what other books they've worked on whether that's through publisher's marketplace or reading and creating those agents um because that's where you really get to know their focus and what they Mm -hmm. actually like and what they've worked on so um and this is with the caveat unless they're a relatively new agent they might be working on books that they don't care about as much because they're just trying to get experience um so then you can kind of you know, you're an experiment for them. They're an experiment for you. It's, you know, it's a it's a give and take. Um, there's nothing wrong with going for a new agent, as far as I can tell, in the research that I've mm-hmm. done. It's just, it's a different, you get a different experience, and that's okay. Like, you can, yeah. maybe you'll be the person that gets them the crazy deal that they didn't have access to before. And now their life as an mm-hmm. agent is better, and you'll be their favorite. Who knows? Um, we can't <laughs> guarantee anything, and neither can they. So, you know, don't quote me on anything. But, um you're you're doing all this research looking for personal reasons why you might connect with an agent. Um, and by personal reasons, like lifestyle reasons can be okay, but I generally mm. would recommend no. Stay away from those. Um, you, you risk getting too creepy with that because it shows yeah. that you might have dug a little too far into their past social media history and no one likes that. <laughs> um, that's just embarrassing. So I try to stick with comp titles. That's, I mean, this is a business letter to someone who represents books for a book that I'm writing, so I stay within the world of books. I don't go out into the other, you know, personal yeah. life things. Uh, just stick with the books. Comp titles is a great place to start. It's the perfect place to start for your personalizations if you can make it work. Um, so that's going to mean something to the agent immediately. It's a really good place to to go. Um, and then, obviously, if you met the agent at a conference or online in a workshop and had some kind of meaningful interaction with them, that's a great way to personalize your letter. Always open with that. Um, it'll get your query read faster. Doesn't guarantee Mm -hmm. guarantee anything again, but it'll get it read faster. And that's, you know, that can be really important because if they, if they met you at the conference, like a week ago, um, their preferences about what they want out of their list are going to be a certain way. So as long as you get your query into their inbox they'll read it faster because they're still looking for whatever it was that you talked about with them whereas if you met them at a conference six months ago their list mm-hmm. may have changed entirely by now so you know that's that's important to jump on when you can
0: yeah
1: and then um the other thing to be aware of aware of is just make sure that the information that you're finding is the most up-to-date that it can be um whether that's on twitter or manuscript wishlist or their website or query tracker um it's not going to be one or the other necessarily so check all the ones that you can find but sometimes the info can change pretty fast and they don't always get around to updating all of the platforms at the same time so just you know Mm -hmm. find the one that seems to be the most recent or the most reputable Uh, you're going to have to look in more than one place there's no easy way to just do this from one single yeah. platform. Like, it's just that's just not how it works, unfortunately. I
0: wish there right. was because, right? yes, always check the agency website that they work at. Um, and this is especially true for new agents because it will usually say like that someone is mentoring them or that they work there before as like an, an assistant to one of the agents. So, like, you can see that they have experience. It's usually listed on the site. Mm-hmm. And this is where Manuscript Wishlist is so great because. Find a lot of the time when you look at an agent on their website. They're like, oh, they represent like, you know, f- they love found family fantasies and stuff like that. But that's so it's actually really broad, yeah. uh, and that's why manuscript wish list is so good because mm-hmm. this has happened to me where I've been like, oh, like these agents all rep fantasy, like on Query Tracker, right? And then I go to check them out individually. <laughs> they don't rep the type of fantasy that i write right like they don't do you know mythology or whatever yeah exactly yeah. and it, there's a lot of subgenres, which like we know so yeah you do have to do your research because that list that you make of 60 agents by the time you've kind of vetted each one you might be down to like 30 agents mm-hmm. and uh yes How do do I know that? It happened to me. I feel like so much of this (laughs) episode.
1: We are literally doing this out of our personal experience. So, you know, it's just kind of like
0: benchmark. (laughs) Been there, done that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you guys can see why I don't like looking for agents now. Uh Because this has happened where I found what I thought was the perfect agent for me. Everything matched his bio. They even had dogs. They liked horses. I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to be best friends. <laughs> Again, not being creepy or anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> their wishlist was great. Like it said that they liked a lot of the elements that I was gonna well that i had in my manuscript so i mm-hmm. like, perfect i like hit the form to send my query and right at the top of the query form it says they didn't rep anything um to do with greek mythology ah, but i was just scratched that uh, is uh, just... so sad so oh, that was a bit disappointing so that's why you got to do your do your research mm-hmm. um and yeah if you if you dislike or disagree with something about an agent that you find in your research don't query them just because they still rep your genre um i mean i'm not i mean i guess politics is the first thing i think of if you disagree there um if you find something out about them that would make it hard to have a working relationship with them based on you and your beliefs and and whatnot um don't query that because you're gonna have to work regularly and intensely with this person and you know we're all pretty writers struggle with imposter syndrome we can be insecure about our writing so you don't want to be sending those little shards of your soul mm-hmm. to an agent who you don't really like and you don't really want to share with yeah, them. You so don't trust them or whatever. Exactly. And uh, the whole don't judge a book by its cover, even though we absolutely all do judge books by their <laughs> covers. I won't buy books that have super ugly covers. <laughs> well, I'll buy them as an ebook. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah. So you may think an agent might not be a good fit for you because you don't seem to have anything else in common aside from the writing uh, but they're people just like any other and opposites mm-hmm. totally do attract. So yeah. don't discount them just because you guys seem like vastly different people. Yeah. If Your tastes align and they like what you write, then it doesn't matter how different you are mm-hmm. outside of the writing world or mm-hmm. the book world.
1: And always keep <laughs> in mind that like the person you're getting to know through most of this research, if you haven't met them at a conference or something, is their online persona. Like it's not absolutely. Them and some people some people just are really uncomfortable with posting about their personal self on Mm -hmm. social media like i've talked with a couple of clients in my day job who are just like i don't want to post pictures of myself and my family i don't want to do that i understand it gets more engagement on social platforms but i don't want to do it um and that's Mm -hmm. that's a personal choice like i understand that social media is literally satan so
0: (laughs) (laughs) i hate posting pictures of myself like I'll post pictures of me riding mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. but if you like look at my personal Instagram, it's like dog dog horse dog dog horse and then like one rare photo of me and like my husband or something and it's like dog dog yep. dog. Yep. <laughs> like, I just don't do Basically. pictures of me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: But I feel like that um that transitions us now nicely into things to look out for because you've just you kind of kicked us off there. If you don't mm-hmm. think that you can work with this person because of different opinions, don't query them. Just don't. Yeah. Just don't do it. Um, Save
0: yourself both the time.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. And on that theme, other things to look out for is—I mean, this is the big one. If they ask you for money, if they're an agent and they ask yeah. you for money, no, 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 no. That's immediately no. Yeah, that's just not. That's not how this works. It's a scam. Um. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not how the publishing industry works with an agent. Um, that's an immediate no, and you run the other way. No questions asked. Don't even ask for more information. Um, that's not how the process works. If an agent asks block you for money, the... it's not legit. Yeah, probably just block them. That'll save you some time in the future. And yeah, agents get paid a commission after they sell your work to a publisher. That's how it works. That's That's the only way the money gets exchanged. You never pay an agent. That's mm-hmm. it's, it's why they're able to champion something so well, because they have to believe in it in order to sell it. That's their yeah. incentive. <laughs> and that's what protects you as well from these upfront scams. Um, some other ones... A few of these are going to be more, like, yellow flag, but just red flags mm-hmm. pop up, things to look out for, get more information, and if it's not a big deal, you move forward. If it is a big deal, you move back. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next one that I have is just, if they haven't updated their website, their socials, their manuscript wish list in a few years, um, I mean, you could still you can still query them if, they're, if they've got some kind of inbox set up. Um, maybe they're not going to stop you, but don't expect to reply. Mm-hmm. Like... There could be a reason in their personal life why they're not active anymore. Maybe they just, you know, personal family issue or they stopped doing it for whatever reason and weren't able to or didn't think to update their different platforms. So if they haven't updated anything in quite a while, they might not answer you because they might not be doing it anymore. Um, that's just kind of, that's the way some of these accounts work, right? Sometimes they go out of out of action and you don't mm-hmm. know why and that's just the way it is. Uh, Might be temporary, might be not. And then kind of tied into that, if they have little to no online presence at all, um, this is a red flag for me. But again, it's less of a run the other way and more of a proceed with caution. Because like we said earlier, some people just aren't comfortable with social media. They don't like it. It's the devil. So, you know, I respect that. Um, And they should at least have a website or a listing on their agency's website. Like that's kind of bare minimum. Um, I personally would want more of a presence than that if, if I was being picky, which I mean, at this stage often we're not, we'll kind of take what we could get, which is not a great strategy. You get scammed that way. Um, but they should at least have a website or listing on their agency website or some kind of presence on like query tracker and manuscript wishlist somewhere, something, um, That said, old hat agents, people have been doing it for a long time, may not be as comfortable with the Mm -hmm. digital age in general as us kids. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) that's why I said it's more of a yellow flag. Like they just might not like dealing with online stuff and they'll do email Mm -hmm. and that's about it. Um, And we can respect that. That can be okay. Mm -hmm. It's just like proceed with caution. Keep in mind what you need to be happy and um, let those things take priority because this is like – you need to get what you want out of the deal. It's not it's not time to bow and scrape to please other people mm-hmm. just so that they'll take your book because they're going to take advantage of you that way. So have a bit more self-respect and, you know. You'll be just, good. You'll be good. You'll be happier <laughs> for it. Um, the next thing that I want to get into is there's a distinction piece that needs to happen here um, and a bit of comparison. You may have heard these terms floated around. Vanity publishers or vanity presses and hybrid publishers or presses. Um, So Vanity Press is, it's a scam, but it's not a scam. Like, it's not illegal. You are paying someone for their services to get your book up and ready and out there. Um, But with a Vanity Press, chances are you're paying a very high price point for a pretty shitty return, if we're being honest. like. Mm you're not you're not getting the support that you think you are and um you're paying through the nose for it uh, whereas if you were doing like the indie route you can do a lot of things pretty cheap if you know what to look for um and if you're mm-hmm. being careful and just in general from what i've understood and heard is vanity presses are they're just so not worth it that it is basically a scam even though they're doing things technically by the book uh the other thing that gets confused with vanity presses sometimes is hybrid publishers and this is a setup where mm-hmm. these can work really well for some indie authors it's where you approach them and you pay them for their services to uh potentially even from the writing stage help you write edit design layout cover design proof and then publish on all the platforms and they help you do with distribution and printing and all those things you pay a premium for the service because that's a whole heck of a lot of work it's not cheap mm-hmm. it's probably not accessible for the average person um but it is an option and it's becoming more reputable and you can find people to do it well um i edit for a publisher like this and depending on your needs and what you're doing um they can be a real joy to work with and exactly what you need um but yeah it's not cheap So, Mm -hmm. that's, yeah, I can't afford it. So, I mean, (laughs) I'm not surprised if no one else can. Um, Another thing to look out for with either of these, like, I think part of it, too, of the vanity press scam is that oftentimes they'll approach you. Like, I once got a phone call Mm -hmm. saying, we want to publish your book. No, they don't. They want your money. And mm-hmm. you might get a shitty product as a side benefit, but it's not much of a benefit, and it's not worth it. So if they're approaching you, that in publishing that doesn't happen. You have to do the legwork to get your book out there. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is your baby, and you have to work for it. Um, they're not going to come to you. That's it feels good, and that's they use that to get in yeah. to scam you essentially. They're using your emotions to get to take advantage of you. Um, mm-hmm. So be really, really, really careful about that. I, it breaks my heart when this happens, and people just. Yeah, they don't know, they don't have the information, so they go for it and they end up disappointed, yeah. and it's really sad. Um, so that yeah, if someone is approaching you like that, uh, it's probably a vanity press. I think hybrid publishers tend not to, could because of the reputation that they like, they kind of rub off the reputation of the vanity pref- press and get in trouble with that. They're trying to be more reputable. Mm-hmm. They're saying like, you approach us, you tell us what you want, and we'll let you know if it's possible and how much it'll cost. That's a much more uh, safe option for you. Um, and then the last major red flag that I thought of is um, if someone is guaranteeing you that your book is going to go somewhere, doesn't matter what guarantee they're giving you. If it's a guarantee that your book will do this or that, that it'll sell this many copies, um, that's a scam, it's bogus, mm-hmm. it's bullshit, nobody can do that for you. Um, it doesn't matter how much experience they have, they cannot do that for you and they shouldn't be trying to. Um, they, yeah, they can absolutely go into the trends and say like, "This is what the past couple of years have shown. Um, you have some pretty good chances of landing here, but it could also go this way." Like, that, that's fine. That's speculative. That's estimates. That's guessing. Um, we can all do that. We do that with all sorts of mm-hmm. things. People who deal with money do that with investments all the time. Like, yeah. that's terrifying.
0: Educated um, guesses, exactly, are a thing. And these are yeah.
1: uh, these are perfectly fine. These are legal. There's nothing wrong with that. But if someone's guaranteeing you that. It's going to be this or do that. It's going to be a bestseller, um, all those things. Like, no, it just, we don't have the framework for that. No one knows what makes a book go viral or anything on social media go viral, by viral for that matter. Like Mm -hmm. a YouTube video blows up. We don't know why it does that. It just happened to be the right moment for it right person saw it at the right time you use the right tag i mean it's it's a shot in the dark a
0: lottery yeah it's
1: literally a shot in the dark yeah it's a lottery and no one can guarantee you one way or the other so be very very careful of that kind of language um some people are just overconfident and they might talk that way (laughs) so you know (laughs) use your your intuition and your instincts there but yeah just be very careful no one should be guaranteeing you a sale or x amount of money um, even mm-hmm. like when you sign with an agent they might be able to say like I think you can get this much for it and we're going to shoot for that but the publisher might not do that like they're going to couch that in hesitant yeah. um, educated guesswork language they're not going to say mm-hmm. you can absolutely get this exact number and we're not going to take anything less than that like someone might project confidence and be like I don't think we should take anything less than that it's like a real estate agent or whatever trying to help you sell something like this is kind of where the trends are showing us to go we're going to stick with this for a really long time and we're going to like just be aggressive about it until data shows us that okay we're not going to get that we need to readjust but if someone's saying from the outside oh you'll get this and yeah no be very careful with that kind of language and um, just do your uh, yeah, do your due diligence to protect yourself because the people on the other end aren't going to do that for you, basically.
0: Exactly. And now we get into what not to do <laughs> with agents. <laughs> it's just such a topics. <laughs> yeah, I swear we're going back to the good stuff after this. Uh, yeah, so what not to do. Um, a lot of these I feel like I shouldn't have to say, but, but I'm going to say them anyways, uh-huh. just so that everybody's on the same page. Do not stalk an agent this is their job. They don't do it. Okay. Don't harass an agent when they reject you. Rejection is just part of their job. Like it's, it's, they're just like us. They go to work, you know, they can be very passionate about their projects and like, they're not happy to reject you either. They're not like evil laughing while they hit send (laughs) on the rejection email. (laughs) I mean, I might if I were an agent, but that's why I'm not <laughs> an agent, because I'm a little too evil to be out in the world like that. So yeah, definitely don't harass them when they reject you. I've heard of writers doing this, and mm. it's just like, just don't do it. Don't insist that they don't understand your work. Like, don't say that, like, you know, they don't know what they're missing, because like they do. <laughs> and they said no. Yeah. So just, you know, accept it. Yeah. Consent um, is So true. yeah. Basically, don't lose all your social skills and your common sense. Okay, <laughs> if you can't handle rejection or constructive comments on your work, then publishing is not for you. Yeah, maybe maybe not for you right now. Maybe to d- develop yeah, those skills, but you gotta yeah. develop a thicker yeah. skin and then come back. So, don't query an agent who doesn't rep your genre. Don't create an agent who specifically says no portal stories, and that's what you've got. <laughs> Their guidelines and wish lists are there for a reason. Sort of be like working at like a coffee shop and always having this like liquor salesperson come in and insist that you need to buy a bunch of wine to sell at your coffee shop and be like, I don't sell wine, I don't want wine. And they'd be like, Yes, you do. No, I freaking don't. <laughs> <laughs> And then as for what you can do when it comes to querying agents, be respectful, be polite, be self-aware. Basically don't disappoint your mother. (laughs) 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 Like you're hoping to build a business relationship with this person. So you want to start off on the right foot. And with that in mind, like, remember that this is, it's a big industry, but is it really, this happens in the horse world too. It's, it's a, lot of different sections of the sport and there's lots of people that do it but you'd be surprised at who knows who and so many people know each other so same thing with publishing and writing don't ruin your own reputation (laughs) with bad behavior before you even get your book on a shelf I mean don't do it even after you get your book on a shelf um but like really don't shoot yourself in the foot right at the beginning um yeah I've heard A few, I mentioned this earlier, of of horror stories of writers harassing agents and and lecturing them about how amazing their book is and like they're missing out. And like, don't do that. Like, no, no one owes you anything. They don't owe you their time or their representation just because you wrote something that you think is good, which I realize sounds like quite mean, but
1: (laughs) no, but that's that is key. Like, I think that's kind of the trap that we fall into of like, mm-hmm. I spent all this time working on this massive project. I poured my heart into it and I've sent it to you. I've shared it yeah. with you. I've given you my heart on a platter and you're literally stabbing it in front of me. Um, but mm-hmm. that's not like, that's what it feels like from our side of the, of the table, but from their side of the table, that's not what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. They're not, they're not just, <laughs> they're not just attacking your story. <laughs> they're genuinely looking at it, you know, from a, position of expertise, of what they think they can mm-hmm. sell, and for whatever reason, they don't think they can sell it. And if that's it, then mm-hmm. that's it. That they're not the right person for you. That, that has nothing to do... It may have nothing to do with your writing. Like, sometimes it might be they don't, don't like how you do this thing, but it may have nothing
0: yeah. to do with your prose. Um, mm-hmm. There's lots of writers out there, or, like, published authors, best-selling authors, who had, like, a hundred rejections mm-hmm. before they got the yes yep. that they were looking for. Exactly.
1: No, it's, it's a hundred percent, well, not a hundred percent, but it's a huge amount of subjective reasoning. Like so much of it is subjective that, yeah, this brings us into, we're talking about rejections now. Like we're just, we're diving right into this. We're sunk right in. Um, Emotional damage is going to happen. And I'm no, I'm not going to do that in the voice that it's done on the socials. Okay. I'm too old for this, but it's going to happen. And the thing that I have to repeat to myself because every time you get a rejection in your inbox, doesn't matter how, whether you're thinking about it or not, as soon as you get it, it hurts. Like, it,
0: yeah. it does.
1: Whether it should or shouldn't is besides the point. Like, emotions just happen. And what they should or should not is, you can't control mm-hmm. that. It's what you do after the fact. Um, and what I try to do after the fact is to gain that emotional distance. Um, in the moment you can't have that, you let the emotion happen. <laughs> But then once you've had your you've had your little meltdown or whatever it is you need to have a glass of wine, have a cup of tea, um, take a minute Mm -hmm. and find that distance because like you can develop if you can develop a mentality of this doesn't speak to who I am as a person. This is not my identity. They haven't rejected me. And this doesn't speak to the quality of my work. They haven't told me that I can not be a writer. That's not what this means. Mm -hmm. That's not what they're saying. And if they are saying that you don't want them as an agent anyway, because that's a shit thing to say to anybody. You can always be a better writer. You can always work to get better. Mm -hmm. No one should be telling you that you're not cut out to do this. Like, you can do it if you want to and just keep going. Power to you. Be a queen. Exactly. Um, Exactly. But if you can develop that mentality of, like, this doesn't mean anything about who I am. This doesn't mean anything Mm -hmm. about the quality of my work. It'll be a lot easier to process those emotions when they happen and those rejections Mm -hmm. as they come. So that's, like, that is my... (laughs) biggest piece of advice for the rejection stage. That is what I cling to. And even though in the moment when I see that email, I don't feel it after the fact I talk myself into it because that's that's what means that I'll Mm -hmm. be able to query the next one.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Rejection's inevitable, especially when it comes to writing and querying. I think rejection's inevitable just in life. It's a life you know experience. We're we're willingly seeking it out when we're trying to query. So that's (laughs) I think that it's hard about it. you're like I put myself out there and I got rejected mm-hmm. you know it's not mm-hmm. a good feeling um and we definitely talked about this in previous episodes but when an agent rejects your work they're not rejecting you as a person like you're still yeah. you're good don't like you're still a yeah. your person it's gonna be okay they don't hate you mm-hmm. it's not personal mm-hmm. right not uh, it's hard to tell ourselves that when it's happening but yeah it isn't personal and like their wish lists are very specific and they know it when they see it like they mm-hmm. know what they the book that they want when they see it. It's a bit like when someone tells you that you're going to love this particular book and you read the back and you're like, yeah, you know, that sounds good. I think I will love this book. And then you start reading it and you just, it just doesn't do it for you. you just like there's nothing wrong book. with it, but you just don't, you're not in love with it. Mm-hmm. Like they do that, but with like hundreds of manuscripts. Yeah. So they have to really love something to be able to champion it properly. And they have to be sure your story is what they want and something that they can sell before they can offer representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not up to you. You can only make your work as good as it can be and hope it lands in the right agent's lap. Mm-hmm. And that's the tea on agent hunting. So don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at the Tea Grannies Podcast and on Twitter at the Tea Grannies. We'll see you next time for an episode on what happens when you do get an agent, which is featuring a special guest. Happy writing.